0: Hi, everyone. This is Rachel coming to you with another episode of the Vet Med Mind. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I had such a great conversation with Dr. Marie Holloway-Chuck. She is the founder of Reviving Veterinary Medicine and is also a board-certified small animal emergency and critical care specialist. She just so happens to be a passionate advocate for veterinary team well-being as well. And that is something that I can relate to as well as everyone else here at VGP. So as you can imagine, we have lots to talk about. Now, Dr. Marie also is a yoga and meditation teacher. She's a wellness coach. She facilitates workshops and retreats for vet clinics and organizations. And she also offers individual and group coaching along with online programs. So she's really created an entire ecosystem around supporting veterinary practices and teams with well-being and living a healthy, balanced life. So I can't wait for you to have a listen and enjoy this episode of the vet med mind. Hi Marie, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks, Rachel. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, you know, you and I first spoke, I don't know, what was it, like a month or two ago? Um, and we were chatting about well-being and health and wellness. And um, I just knew I had to have you here on the podcast because, of course, everything you're doing aligns so well with all the things that we talk about here and all the things that we want to promote in VetMed. So Um, uh, before we dive into all the health and wellness and wonderful things you do, I first want to just um, have all of our listeners get to know you a little bit. So I always love having people share sort of their vet origin story and, and what brought them into vet med. So tell us a little bit about how how this journey all got started.
1: Oh, Great question. I love and I love the title vet origin story. Um, Yeah, so I uh, grew up actually with two veterinarians as parents. So my parents met in vet school and got married when they were in vet school. Um, After they graduated, um, my mom opened up a small animal practice in the uh, town where we grew up. And my dad went into uh, regulatory medicine, food safety, animal welfare, so primarily government roles. And um, yeah, a few years uh, down the line, I came to be. um, I'm the uh, middle child of three children. So the second born and really, you know, grew up in my mom's practice and spent, you know, afternoons after school there on the weekends. As I grew up, it became a part time job for me and really just felt immersed in vet med from the very early days. And, you know, growing up with two vets, as parents, we're talking about vet med at home. um, My mom's getting calls in the evenings from her clients. Sometimes I'm answering the phone and, you know, so-and-so's dog is vomiting. What do you want me to tell them? You know, she couldn't come to the phone, whatever it might be. So it just, it felt like such a natural transition for me. I briefly considered doing other Uh, professions, you know, rehab medicine, um, professional athlete, you know, various other aspirations. And, you know, ultimately it just came back to vet medicine, just being the right fit for me. Um, So I, I really did the fast track into vet school. I crammed all of my pre-vet programs and courses, you know, into the first two years of my undergrad and applied for vet school straight out of the gates and got in and, you know, started vet school when I was 20 years old. So, um, and then, you know, fast forward, you know, decades later and here we are.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you wasted no time. I mean, like you said, you were really born into it, I have to just ask, what about your siblings? Did vetmed
1: speak to them as well? <laughs> Such a good question. And a question that is totally logical. Um, the short answer is no. Um, <laughs> yes and no. So, you know, my brother, he was never really good with blood or vomit or anything of the sort. Um, so understandably so, he became a chemical engineer. Um, ah. So nothing biomedical <laughs> <laughs> related at all. Um, you know, my sister, on the other hand, she actually did go into rehab medicine, which is interesting because that was definitely an interest of mine as well. Um, she's an occupational therapist, but she spent many years working in my mom's practice. So even after I went into vet school and, you know, had graduated while she was still in her undergrad, um, she was working at my mom's clinic and and helping. Um, but for whatever reason, she didn't choose veterinary medicine as her ultimate career path. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: that's (laughs) cool. Yeah. I just, I'm, I was curious because it's funny I I spoke with uh another practice owner who um he also like was born into vet med his dad was a was a vet and the hospital is actually in their house like in like the you know the lower levels of their home so same thing I was like so all your family and he's like nope just me <laughs> <laughs> so it's just funny I was, I was curious um yeah. but that's really amazing so you know unlike a lot of I mean uh, Unlike a lot of people, you were born into it. I know a lot of people who are in vet med often start as early as they can too. Um, but it seems like you know you had the unique experience of watching your parents, and of course, and um, we're just going to make that transition into health and wellness really quick because that's really your specialty. Um, And I, I want you to talk about your backstory, but because we're talking about your parents, what did you witness growing up? Like, was the stress of owning a business, being a veterinarian? prevalent in the day-to-day life? Like you feel like it might be in the culture now?
1: Yeah. Gosh, I love that question. It's not a question I've ever been asked before, um, but I think it is important to talk about. And, you know, it's interesting how our experiences and our knowledge shape our perceptions of things. And so at the time, everything was just normal. You know, it's like a fish in water. What does water feel like? Well, I don't know. I'm just, I didn't even know I was in water. Um, So it was just normal that my mom worked really long days and she didn't pick us up from school. And there was very many evenings she couldn't attend our sporting events. And in the evenings, she often had to take calls from clients and very often had to go back in or on the weekends, she would have to go back in. And I remember accompanying her on some of those visits as I got older, because I was able to help, you know, do some things. Um, but it was a lot and it it just felt like she worked a lot now, despite that. And I think this just is a Testament to my mom and the amazing veterinarian and business owner that she was, um, you know, I, I never, heard her complain, you know, she was so passionate about the work that she did and, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, whether or not she realized, you know, that it was a lot of work and, and limited boundaries and all the things that we talk about today. I didn't witness it from her, but looking back in hindsight, I do see that it was, I think, challenging a lot, certainly challenging in the way that she wasn't able to be there always for us growing up. Um, You know, she was very lucky, is very lucky to have my dad, you know, as a partner. And so he was very prevalent in our lives, you know, in our upbringing and taking care of us, you know, outside of when we were in school. Um, to your point though, about have things changed? Um, I do think in some ways they have, you know, I think we, we, we would be better served getting away from this notion of like, well, when I was a practice owner, you know, I had was on call hundred percent of the time and I worked six or seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, looking back at practice as it was, then it was more chill. It was less progressive. It was, less demanding, you know, and I, this is not saying that we didn't practice good medicine. This is just saying that referral medicine was not really a thing. Ultrasound was not really a thing. Um, you know, sending our radiographs for interpretation, not really a thing, social media, non-existent, you know, I do think today we face so many more stressors and, um, demands on our time and with technology and smartphones and messaging and emails, like our clients have so much access to us. Yes. They could phone my mom at home if they happen to have her home number, but she wasn't checking emails in the weekend on in the evenings and on the weekends. She wasn't on social media. There was a lot of stressors that we have today that I know that she was not experiencing then.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's uh, it was just a different time. And, you know, I, I totally agree with you. It's not to say that things were, you know, better or worse at that time. It's just you're right, the demands, the to-do lists, the accessibility has just kind of run rampant on us. Um, and competition, you know, I think that there's also a lot of pressure, um, whether it be competition to hold on to your own staff or to, you know, retain clients or to gain new clients. You know, there's just this uh, pressure as a business owner, which again existed them too. Um, But there's, yeah, times have just changed and with it come the stress. Um, So now I have to ask about your personal experience. So, you know, you went to vet school, you fast tracked, So you were kind of like right into vet med, like working on your own pretty quickly. Um, What surprised you as you were in vet med and, and what was your journey of well-being like, you know, how, how was it that when you started off and How did that sort of mental
1: health well-being
0: change over time?
1: Yeah, such a great question. So, gosh, you know, so my journey, you know, in brief, um, after I finished my vet school, you know, I had always thought I'm going to go work for my mom. I'm going to be in her practice. I'm going to take over it someday. And, you know, things didn't work out that way for a lot of different reasons. Um, But the, the biggest one was just that I felt called to do something different. You know, it was all I had ever known. I hadn't really worked anywhere else. And I was starting to, at the latter portion of my vet school, get really excited about things like specialization, referral medicine, and emergency practice. And so after vet school, I applied for an internship and I matched for a small animal medicine and surgery internship in Washington at WSU. And then from there, I developed my passion for emergency medicine. So I did my residency at NC State. And then I went into academia. So I was assistant professor at OVC for five years. And I just, I loved every minute of it. And I really pushed myself hard. You know, I think you you alluded to it previously, just this culture that we have in vet medicine. And I think probably growing up with a mom who was very dedicated to her business and probably, I hate to use labels and terminology like this, but a workaholic, you know, she really dedicated most of her her formative years really to her profession, um, you know, that was sort of imprinted on me, so to speak. And so I threw myself into work and let's be honest, when you're an intern and a resident, you really don't have any other choice. You're just doing the work, mm-hmm. but I carried that through with me into my role as faculty and anybody who's been in academia or, you know, really anybody in this profession and certainly business owners as well, The work is never ending. There's always something to do. There's always new things to grow, projects to start, things to learn, books to read. And in academia, it's like on 2.0, right? So it's like, I could get another student. I could do another research project. Let's apply for a different grant. I'm gonna revamp this entire course for these students. And I loved every minute of it. And I worked myself into the ground. And Mm -hmm. as an emergency and critical care specialist, you know, I was on call 50% of the time. And that kind of drove me to work even harder because that 50% of the time I was on call, I was like, well, I'm on call, probably going to get called. So maybe I'll just stay at work and just do work. Well, I'm on call. So that work-life separation was nearly non-existent for me. Um, I was working away from family and friends because I lived across the country from where I grew up. And so, you know, I didn't have much of a life outside of work. Um I desperately wanted to like get married and have kids and all of those things um but yet the work it just always seemed to take priority and at the end of the day I I burnt myself out and it's funny you know you ask you know about my perception of well-being and and how it's shifted I will honestly say for that beginning part of my career through my training and through my time at OVC, I had no idea what burnout was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I wasn't practicing self-care and that that was leading to these problems um, because I didn't even know what self-care was like. Nobody had taught us that back then. So at the time I just knew, you know, this isn't sustainable for me. This doesn't feel right. I feel exhausted. I'm chippy with people. I'm starting to resent my work. I'm starting to, um, you know, feel cynical about the things that I'm doing. I'm starting to feel like no matter how much I work, I'm not creating anything that's of value. And this just doesn't feel like a career that can sustain itself for the rest of my life. And so, you know, I made the decision to leave my job, even not knowing what was happening and just sort of thinking, well, maybe, Maybe it's homesickness, or maybe I just need a break, or maybe I just need to do something different that this isn't actually the job of my dreams. So I left my job um, and at the time I didn't have another job to go to. This was kind of at a bit of a lull. Um, This is back in 2013. So it was sort of that time where we were like, there's too many vets, there's not enough jobs, you know, and specialist medicine was still growing, especially here in Canada. Mm -hmm. So I moved back home, you know, to be closer to my family, but I was, you know, embarking on life as a solopreneur. So I was like, I'm just going to do relief work, which again, wasn't really a thing back then, or it was not as much of it is today. Um, I'm going to continue to speak because I love to educate and I'm going to continue to do research because I love that. And then the same thing just happened. I got into this same cycle of workaholism and burnout. And, you know, I literally and metaphorically hit the wall um, about a year after being a solopreneur. Um, I was in a bad car accident and just really caused me to slow down and reevaluate my life. And that led me to Looking at my own health and well being. So that's when I started seeing a psychologist looking after my mental health. I started reading and researching about self help and self care. I took a mindfulness based stress reduction program for professionals and I started practicing meditation. And as time went on, you know, these tools started to have such a transformative change for my own life. And we were starting to talk about these issues in vet medicine. And so the two just kind of came together. And I had this light bulb moment of, I need to be sharing what I am learning and what the research shows us with the veterinary profession as a whole. And that's what led me to my advocacy and education work that I do today.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And not you know, the most uncommon story in the sense, you know, like it's unfortunate to hear, but it takes sometimes a car accident. I ended up in a hospital bed, you know, because my health had deteriorated to such a degree. Like I hear, unfortunately this story time and time again, of like, I didn't realize it was so bad until enter, you know, horrible trauma, (laughs) you know, and like, And it's awful, you know, and I don't mean to laugh because it's not funny. It's just, you know, Mm. it's one of those things where, you know, when you're thinking about it like that, like that's really that the common denominator for so many people, Um, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes we have to hit that lowest low to make to make ourselves realize, which kind of speaks to the need for that sort of emotional intelligence training, you know, social, emotional learning that, you know, is starting to kind of pick up some speed in schools. Um, but we're not like educated enough about this. Cause I feel the same way. Right. I, I went to college, you know, I, I didn't take the vet med route as I had originally intended, but again, I went to school, I had this, you know, student structure where, right. Your, your stress peaks, Would come, you know, midterms and finals and in between it was like fine, but like you'd have these moments of high stress, but then they'd always sort of level themselves out. So I never really had that need to self-check, right? It was sort of like, I always knew the end was coming. And so I think that what that programmed me to do was to always anticipate there'll be an end. And, you know, people joke about this all the time. Like, I just have to get through this and then it'll be fine. But there's always another thing that we just have to get through. Because like you said, there's projects, there's new ideas, there's new business strategy, there's new people that are hired, there's new technology, there's like constantly something else. And if we if we keep having that mindset of like, oh, I'll, I'll just take care of myself when it's just never going to happen. And so same thing with me, because I was so used to having an indicator or sort of like an endpoint that I knew was coming, I could look forward to. I never really trained myself to understand the signs and symptoms of what, you know, prolonged stress looks like, because I had never really experienced that before. So, um, yeah, totally unequipped to deal with myself. (laughs) And, you know, like many of us are like, You kind of just don't know until you know, and you don't know until you're experiencing it. And um, yeah, it's unfortunate that it really took something as traumatic as a car accident and ending up in a hospital room to reevaluate the choices that were made and how we're Mm -hmm. living our lives. But on the flip side, a blessing that you were, you know, given an, an awareness moment that you could turn things around and make some new choices and i know in that you had gotten also you got certified in yoga or did that happen before is that something that you kind of oh, felt Oh that was after, after.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah. And, and, and first of all, I love the story that you share in that perspective, because you're right. I think we do have this sense, um, during school and even in our career that like this, when we retire, that's when we enjoy life or when we take vacation, that's when we, the stress goes down and we have to remember that it's, you know, everything along the way that keeps us going. Um, yeah, you know, it was interesting with the car accident. So the car accident at the end of the day, it wasn't my fault, believe it or not. It wasn't like I fell asleep at the wheel because I was so, exhausted. And, you know, this, that, and the other, um, someone had made a dangerous left turn and, and I guess didn't see me coming and hit me. So I did receive, you know, a few thousand dollars in, you know, settlement for the accident. And I said to myself, you know, with this money, I am going to gift myself something. And I opted to gift myself a 200 hour month long yoga teacher training. Wow! <laughs> Why so not, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I had been a yoga practitioner for a few years, and I loved the practice. And I happened to be at the studio one evening for a class. And they said, you know, information session for those who want to do their teacher training. And I was like, do I want to be a yoga teacher? Like, could I do that kind of part time on the side? And and they sort of, you know, good marketing on their part. They said, you know, even if you don't want to be a teacher, this is just, you know, for deepening your own Practice. And I thought, what a beautiful way to spend a month in the summer, you know, aligned with other like minded people who also love yoga, learning more about alignment and anatomy and the, you know, um, philosophy of yoga. It was honestly one of the most transformative months of my life, personally, um, but also professionally, because it was during that month that I had this aha moment of this could be amazing for veterinary professionals. Like Mm -hmm. I can have retreats and workshops and, you know, these integrative experiences where we not only talk about wellness and the evidence behind it and how to practice it, but we can embody it. We can practice it, you know, with yoga practice, meditation practice, et cetera. So that actually spearheaded my first um, yoga and meditation, veterinary retreats. And then, you know, from there that's morphed into online programs and coaching and so on.
0: I love that. Oh, so nice. I, I too dabble in yoga from time to time. I, <laughs> I started actually practicing yoga in high school. Um, I had a friend of mine who like really wanted to go. So we would like go to yoga every now and then. And I always really enjoyed it. Um, still can't do a crow pose or a handstand. <laughs> But, okay. That's on me. Um, <laughs> right but, there with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I try. It, it doesn't look pretty. I will tell you that. Um, but I, you know, so you, you now train other doctors and staff, right. And how to specifically in, you know, you do yoga and meditation and other, other sort of well being tactics and tools and skills, you know, I think that we're at a point where most people are very open-minded, right, to bringing more well-being and wellness um, and, you know, skills of this nature into their lives. But as two people who have been working for a long time to implement these things, obviously there are struggles. So what kind of, I guess, barriers do you see for most um, people who kind of show up with the, like they show up, there's the desire, right? They're like, I want to do this um but there's often a lot of maybe
1: subconscious resistance so what do you feel like that's about oh such a good question once again uh, rachel great these are i i'm so glad that you asked this um this is something i've you know given a lot of thought to and um you know in my conversations with people has definitely come up repeatedly for some people, it's the very obvious things. I don't have enough time. You know, work is so busy. You know, I don't have time to take a break during the day. I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to exercise when I have a shift. Um, I don't have time to meet with my financial planner. You know, all of these things. So some of it genuinely is... And I say genuinely because the perception is genuine. There really is the belief of, you know, I don't, I cannot possibly imagine fitting anything else into my life. Um, so there's that piece of it. I think there's also the piece of I um, you know, feel like this is a little bit selfish of me to be taking this time for myself, like self-care feels selfish. Um, you know, I am here to serve. I am here to devote my life to helping animals and their families in whatever way that looks like. And, um, you know, there's a misconception that, that, that can all be done, you know, for one's career. Um, and then after that time, that's when I take care of myself. And I think you and I both know, having experienced this, that we have to first take care of ourselves before helping others. But that is, um, as you put it, one of those mindset things that people need to get their head around, like, wow, I actually do need this to show up and be the person I want to be in the work that I do. Right. Yeah. So there's that piece of it, you know, I think kind of along the lines of that, there is also a sense of us being so firmly entrenched as caregivers that it is really hard to be on the receiving end of needing care feels very vulnerable to us feels a little bit shameful, like it can bring up a lot of guilt, like I feel bad saying no to my clients and that guilt can then translate into shame like i'm a bad veterinarian because i'm not going in on my day off to euthanize this long standing patient of mine so there's a little bit of you know um nuanced emotions that go along with this deeply entrenched sense of being in the service of others and feeling badly about needing to also care you know for oneself yeah so and- yeah, I think I think those are big pieces of it. I think there's more. I'm curious to hear, you know, what you think might be contributing as well.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think that there's also this perfectionist mentality of like I either have to be perfect and amazing at this right away or it's no good. And I always like to tell people, you know, when I'm talking about my experience and the things I do that I fail at this all the time. Like I am not perfect. And as a self-proclaimed perfectionist, you know, that can be challenging for me too. (laughs) And, you know, I have all these ideas of what I want to accomplish in a day. And like these checklists of like, I want to work out, I want to meditate. I want to do deep breathing. I want to, you know, go outside and walk my dog in the middle of the day to like, you know, get some fresh air. And, you know, there's all these things and all the things that we recommend to do. Um, that sometimes it can be hard to not do them all and it can feel like you're failing. Um, And sometimes, um, you know, I I think that to change the mentality of what that success looks like, right? So maybe you have this idea in your head of like, well, I really want to exercise for 60 minutes a day. Um, But today you don't have 60 minutes. So rather than being like, I'm not doing it at all (laughs) because I do that a lot, it's, well, maybe I can do 10 minutes. And, you know, who knows, maybe 10 minutes can turn into 15 or 20 or not um but i do think that there's that like i i want to be good at it i want to be able to check that box every day um and that can be really hard um and also you know that struggle of i want to see results immediately right so what has been your experience as a coach right where you're you're working one on one with people you know how how do you keep people encouraged and motivated to continue doing what they're doing
1: Mm, Yeah, I love that. Well, what you shared is so helpful. And I think um, it's something people should really pay attention to this notion of letting go of the need to do everything perfectly, including our self care. Because, you know, for those of us, and I think it's most of us that are very research oriented, the research does show that even 10 minutes a day of high intensity exercise can be the equivalent cardiovascular and physical benefit of 30 minutes of ongoing, you know, sustained aerobic exercise. So, you know, keeping that in mind, you know, how I help my clients, you know, when I'm coaching them through some of these challenges Is to first of all really focus on like at the end of all of this, like what is their ideal life? What is their why? Why are they doing this? And for most people, it is a genuine desire to help. It's a desire to show up the best version of themselves in service of their clients, in service of the animals, you know, and to be present for their family and to have, you know, health. I mean, all of our core values and and vision for ourselves are are slightly different. But at the end of the day, most of us want to be the best version of our ideal self. And, you know, when we reflect back then on how we show up, when we are not engaging in self-care, when we are not taking care of ourselves, when we're not looking after our mental health and physical health and otherwise, it becomes a bit of a light bulb moment for people when they realize, okay, wait a minute, you're right. If I, given the choice, if I exercise for this 10 or 15 minutes or I don't, that does impact how I show up in the rest of my day. And so it just gets reinforced over and over. Like you said, with practice, they see results with consistency, they see changing outcomes. And, you know, I had one person in one of my programs who just recently finished, and we had our last coaching call. And she literally was like, Marie, my life has been transformed by this recognition that this is what I need. Like, she's a business owner, she's got a team she's looking after, she's got a family, and so on. And everything self care related, personal health related was always on the back burner. And we started, just as you recommended, with these short little bits, these minor changes. She was like, I'm just going to cut off my schedule two hours earlier on Wednesdays so that I have that two hours for myself midweek. Even just doing that with sprinkled a little bit of exercise, going to bed early, eating more healthfully, et cetera, has been transformative for her in how she's showing up for her clients and her team. So that has reinforced her why. And now, as you know, she said to me, I just, I need to be able to keep this going. And, you know, that's the next step of her journey is how do I stay consistent with this and keep the momentum moving forward?
0: Yeah, I think that's the most amazing part. When you really do focus on yourself, there's a ripple effect. Because even if the things that you're doing don't directly impact anyone else in your life, they see the changes that are happening in you. Right. And so there's like, Ooh, that's interesting. You know, there was with my own health journey. Um, I, I went vegan for almost three years and I'll tell you like what was most interesting to me about it. Like there's always comedians joke all the time, right. About how vegans love talking about how they're vegan. <laughs> and like, I, I felt so strongly like, and you know, having like not been vegan and going vegan, I, I, It was just funny because more than anything, I actually felt like maybe someone else, please correct me, whoever's listening, if you felt differently. I felt (laughs) like I received a lot of questions about being vegan. Why? Have you noticed any difference? Like, is it hard? You know, and I think that to some degree, you know, whether it be changing your diet or exercising more or meditating every day or any other sort of self care wellness thing initiative that you sort of implement, right? there's sort of this like intrigue among other people that are like, Oh, you meditate every day. Like, tell me more about that. Um, you know, and because whatever perceived notions we have about how challenging it is, you're like, Oh, suddenly I now know someone who's doing this regularly. Like, don't you find it hard to like, you know, make all your thoughts go away or don't you find it hard not to eat meat? So it's what's so beautiful about it. And and I think so important for people in practice is that, That 10 minutes a day that you're choosing yourself can be that motivation and inspiration to someone else on your team, to someone else in your personal life to be like, okay, like, you know, maybe it's not an hour, maybe it's not a four hour, you know, meditation, you know, retreat, but it's something. And maybe that can be that spark because that's really what we need. You know, like there, there needs to be a culture shift in our industry about how we care for ourselves and each other. Um, and creating space for all of that in in a sense, because we're not going down a very great path so far. Um, but I'm glad that we're at least, you know, we're having more conversations about health and well-being and people are making note of things that need to change. You know, we're we're seeing the struggles. We're seeing, you know, you talked about that time where we had too many vets, oh. What we would all give, right? (laughs) Too many vets. When you said that, I was like, "Oh, what a dream!" Right? Too many vets. I don't even know what that means. What does it even mean? Um, (laughs) Because we certainly have enough patients. So you know, there was all this stress and pressure to like see them all, do it all. Um, And I know that you know there'll be there'll be resistance, right? Whether it be internal or external. Um, But to just you know stick to your guns, stand your ground, choose yourself, um, and that can really go a long way. I also wanted to sort of just to shift gears, you know, obviously you started in academia, um, but that's still a big part of what you're doing. And I saw just recently um, you had uh, you had just published two journal articles. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So tell me a little bit about that and how you're continuing to work in research into your day to day.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for, for asking. Um, Gosh, I feel like I, you know, you you can take the person out of academia, but you can't take the academia out of the person. Uh, Let (laughs) me just say, if that makes any sense, you know, I feel like it's so ingrained in me to want to educate and um, do it in a way that is very evidence-based. And so, Um, I'm a very passionate researcher. I, I want to obviously espouse things that have worked for me personally or that have worked for people whom I know. But as we all know, there's anecdotal evidence and then there's, you know, more rigorous evidence. And so I have been very fortunate to align with some organizations who've been willing to assist me with doing some um, survey-based research. And some of that has been backed by industry. Some of it has um, been backed by, um, you know, these these other organizations who wanted to help. And um, I've also been able to align with the University of Calgary, you know, where I live now. And um, they also are quite dedicated to student well-being and, um, you know, wellness initiatives for the profession as a whole. So, Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been fun to be able to still, you know, dive into this information in in an evidence-based way. And, you know, as an avid writer, you know, I love to write articles and write blogs and, um, I'm working on a book right now, like lots of different writing projects. So the writing thankfully comes pretty easy to me. And it's just, it's, honestly, it's an honor to be able to get that information out there. So I'm just excited to be able to do it. It's not easy. I I wish, um, you know, I wish I had more time for all the different passion projects and things that I have. Um, but it's definitely something I still try to make time for.
0: Yeah. Amazing. And so if people wanted to read the articles
1: that you've published, where can they find them? Yeah, so um I'm certainly happy to to share those articles if people want to reach out to me via email um at info@mariehollowaychuk.com. At um but otherwise the uh two recent articles um one of them was on burnout symptoms in emergency and critical care providers. Um that one is uh it's online, but I believe it is only on abstract. Like if they want the full article, they'd have to reach out to me. Um, and the Canadian vet journal article is available open text. So that article in particular is about mental health stigma and mental health stigma, specifically among students and among working veterinarians. So that one they can access free, but if you really want to just have me send the articles to you and that's easiest, then please just send me an email.
0: That's cool. I'm very interesting. Is there any sort of like high level, you know, little tidbit you can give us from, from that, uh, that last one that you published?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the, the research amongst, um, emergency and critical care providers when it comes to burnout is interesting. The survey that we ran, we not only looked at burnout symptoms, but we also looked at work related factors and the burnout scores, surprisingly, or maybe not, um, demonstrated that those working in emergency and critical care in vet medicine have higher scores when it comes to burnout compared to human healthcare workers in emergency medicine. So, that's saying a lot. Um, And what they found, what we found with our survey scores is that um, feeling appreciated at work and having a manageable workload are two of the biggest factors when it comes to burnout. So I know you just, you know, highlighted the staffing issue that we have right now, which is very challenging from a workload management perspective, especially in emergency where you can't really easily turn things away if they're, you know, not doing well. Um, but the appreciation piece, I think, is a really important thing for us to recognize that team members want to feel appreciated. And whether that's from clients, whether that's from our leadership, um, the people we work with, I think that's something that we can all um, work on a little bit more in our profession. Um, the mental health stigma article, you know, stigma and mental health is a passion point of mine. So that was more of a review article. Um, you know, I, the biggest thing that I can tell people when it comes to mental health stigma and mitigating that is just having more conversations like you and I are having, you know, talking openly about, the struggles that we're experiencing. Um, I talk a lot about my lived experience with depression and anxiety. I talk a lot about seeing seeking therapy and, and getting help. And the more that we can normalize it, you know, well, gosh, if that person feels that way, it's like, to your point about the self-care, well, if they can go see a counselor every two weeks and that seems to help them, like maybe that's something that I can do and I don't have to feel so alone in this. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about stigma is important because we know that stigma is a huge, um, thing that stops us and it's an, it's an impediment to help seeking. So we want to mitigate that. We want to get rid of that in the veterinary space.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I, both topics are super interesting. Um, and I do think that, you know, as far as, um, stigma goes, yeah, I I think, yes, talk, 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 share your experience. And and I feel the same as, as soon as, you know, we become vulnerable, we open up with somebody, you know, there's often a connection. And I also think that, you know, whatever, whatever sort of uh, initial, again, like mental block of like, oh, I'm not going to meditate. Meditation's not for me. That's fine. That's okay. You don't have to do that, right? There's a million ways that you can take care of yourself and some of that, you know, it, it just looks different for everybody. So again, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing kind of thing. Meditation doesn't speak to you. Totally cool. Does walking around the block do it for you? You know, does does petting a dog do it for you? You know, does going to the beach, you know, it's cool. Like just find something that makes you happy and allows you to disconnect or connect, you know, internally with yourself. Um, and again, those stigmas, you know, just find something that just makes you happy and brings you joy and just start there. Right. You know, um, and a lot of times I feel like, you know, nine times out of 10, that might just be your self-care thing. (laughs) Do something that makes you happy. Um, so with that being said, I could talk to you all day. Um, there's just, this is obviously a topic that interests me as well. Um, and I I would love to keep the conversation going. Maybe we could do like a part two someday in the future. Um, but as we sort of wrap this up, I would love to hear your advice, you know, after someone's listening to this and, you know, we've been talking about self-care, are we are talking about burnout and all that sort of stuff. What is like one piece of advice you could give someone if they're just listening to this and are like, hmm, I got to do something. What do you mm-hmm. feel like is a good place to start or something that you can implement like right away that can make a change?
1: I love that. Well, I mean, Rachel, you've already given so many amazing suggestions um, for people with really just meeting themselves where they're at. And I think you've touched on so many good points and I would just echo those, you know, in terms of Start with a low-hanging fruit. Start with something that feels immediately implementable, that you literally could do today or tomorrow. I think so often we get into our head like, okay, I have to practice self-care. And you know, she was talking about yoga. So I'm gonna start doing yoga four days a week and you know, I'm gonna practice for 90 minutes a class and you know, we, we choose these big things and I can't do that until I get the proper yoga outfit and I need to buy a new mat and that's going to take <laughs> a week to get delivered to me in the mail. And just all of these reasons why, you know, we can't start right away. And so I think picking that low hanging fruit of the 10 minutes a day, the 20 minutes of exercise, you know, 10 minutes of meditation, 20 minutes of exercise, it doesn't have to be everything and anything. Um, but those things, number one, that you feel really excited about, like eager to try. And number two, you know, being totally realistic with yourself that you could do it today or tomorrow. Those would be the biggest things for me. And, you know, I think, I couldn't have this conversation without ending on a note of self-compassion. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit, I think, in the conversation. But, you know, being gentle and kind with yourself, you know, losing that perfectionistic voice, I have to do everything perfectly and 112% to, you know what, I'm doing the best I can right now in this season of my life with the time and resources available to me. If that means I'm going to take you know, half an hour early and go to bed tonight, you know, and do nothing else, then that's my self-care for today. Or if that means I'm going to, you know, walk the dog tomorrow for 15 minutes, you know, at work to just take a break and get outside, then that's going to be my self-care. And to be kind to yourself in those moments that maybe it doesn't look like this grandiose self-care picture that some other people have painted, but that's what's working for you right now. And that you're doing the best you can in what is very, what is a very challenging time for many of us in this profession right now.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes. You heard it here, everybody you're doing great. And you look (laughs) fabulous today. (laughs) That's right. Self-care can just be telling yourself you look good. (laughs) I love it. This is, this has been wonderful. Now I always like to end our end our podcast on a lighter note. I like to do just like a little, um, just sort of like a rapid fire question, just some fun things. Um, so you grew up with Vets's parents. So I assume you had pets. So what was the name of your first pet and what kind of pet was it?
1: Her name was Fergie and she was a Brown standard poodle.
0: Fergie predating the singer.
1: <laughs> exactly. I, totally it. I think, I think after Sarah Ferguson, um, yes. <laughs> awesome. You
0: said a standard poodle. Yes. Awesome. Is that your, the kind of dog you still have now? Is that your, yes. Yes. Your breed I'm of Standard
1: poodle lover through and through. Yeah. Yes. I love it. I love it.
0: Uh, what is your favorite kind of music?
1: Ooh, great question. Um, I don't know what genre I would call it sort of like soft alternative. So, um, you know, the lumineers, James Bay, Lord, yeah. um, that sort of, yeah, that nice. it I, I could go on and on, but those types of artists. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Leading into the next question. Do you have a go-to karaoke song? Oh my gosh, definitely not. Nobody wants to hear me sing karaoke. That would clear the place out. <laughs> oh, I, I beg to differ. Because nobody shows up to karaoke expecting to
0: hear, you know, any, I'll tell any you,
1: famous artist. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you my go-to dance songs that will get okay. me on the dance floor. That would yeah. be anything by Mariah Carey oh. or Britney Spears. Oh, so, I'm down for out. both. Down for both. I love it. Um, uh, what's your number one guilty pleasure? Oh, great question chai tea lattes. Mm, I like that. Um, uh, what is one thing on your bucket list? Oh my goodness. I miss travel so much. It would have to be traveling somewhere. Um, heading back to Europe. There's so many places I haven't been. Um, but definitely, definitely travel, probably some exotic hike somewhere because I love mm. travel and I love hiking.
0: Mm, that sounds lovely. Um, speaking of travel, do you have a favorite airport snack? That thing you never eat anywhere else.
1: <laughs> the thing I would never eat. I was gonna say chai tea latte is usually what I get <laughs> that's when tree. I travel. <laughs> what would I not eat anywhere else? Oh my goodness. probably probably some sort of alcoholic beverage paired with like a big basket of fries, I would yes. say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, airports where rules don't apply. that's right. Um and last but not least as we close out if you could go back in time and give yourself
1: one piece of advice what would it be Oh my gosh Probably not to take things so seriously you know I I think you know very often we we take life seriously you know throughout my life I've taken everything seriously you know my exercise my work, my life in general. And it's funny, I, I, you know, do a lot of online workouts now. And one of the instructors will often say, you know, we take the workout seriously, but we never take ourselves seriously. And that would just be such great advice. That would have been such great advice for me years ago, like to laugh at myself more to, um, to not take things so personally, you know, to just be, be more, be more myself rather than put so much pressure on me to be a certain way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that. And I hope our listeners take that advice um, and take a look at themselves too and see how they can laugh at themselves a little bit. My sister uh, on this note, one of her favorite quotes was, if you can't laugh at yourself, you might be missing one of the colossal jokes
1: of the century. (laughs) That's fabulous. I love it.
0: So Marie, thank you so much for being here. This has been so lovely. And um, yeah, I just, there's so much more we can we can say about this topic and do. And um, so, yeah, I hope to have you back here um, another time in the future. So
1: thank you so much. Oh, I would love that. Thank you, Rachel. This was awesome.
0: Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that
1: in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine and i really mean this it could be a kennel worker it could be the person who cleans your hospital Uh,
0: it it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate Uh, a success story in your neighborhood Uh, those are the kind of stories that we're looking for and so i don't think we're going to have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates but i'm always interested to hear what you think of when we say who's a success in your life? What's going on in their vet med mind?